Well, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Day. I pray you are all blessed as you celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then one of the questions that I thought about this week was, and I used to ask this, why do we celebrate Easter? What is it about Easter that we celebrate? And as Christians, we know that Easter, Resurrection Day, is the most important of all the Christian holidays. It's more important than Christmas, anything else. This is the hinge point of the Christian faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 15 says this, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If for only this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If the resurrection isn't true, then eternal life isn't true, and we're not going to be there because our sins are still unforgiven. We're still carrying around that weight of sin and guilt. Now, being this is Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday, I want to try to make this as, as simple as possible because hopefully a lot of people are watching. If you're watching this this morning, we pray that God's Spirit is in you and encourages you. And for those of you who don't know Christ at this moment, I pray that you would take this opportunity to realize that the resurrection is true. It's meant for you, and it gives you the ability and the knowledge that one day you'll be with Jesus. So we're going to talk really simply about what Easter, what resurrection means to us. Now, a long time ago, I've asked this question before I knew Christ, and other people have asked me this question. And the question is this. If God is God, why can't he just forgive sin? If God can do whatever he wants, why can't he just wipe it out? Wipe sin out, make us all go into heaven, and he's God, he can do anything he wants. Why can't we just all get into heaven without the sacrifice of Jesus? Why was Jesus needed? If God can do whatever he wants, why can't he just wipe the slate clean for each one of us without Jesus having to die? Well, the problem with that is to have love, you also have to have justice. You can't have one without the other. It's two sides of the same coin. Now, I'll give you an example. Suppose someone had killed a member of my family, murdered them, and they, they caught him, they take him to jail, or they take him to court, and the judge looks at him and says, man, I love you, I love you, I, just, I, I know you're a good person, I'm going to let you go free just because of my, my love for you. Well, that's great, but where is the justice for the family who he murdered. There's no justice. So God is not showing love for the family who was the victim. He's only showing love for the person who committed the crime. You can't have love without the justice part of it. And Jesus is the justice part of it for us because all of us were guilty of that. The beauty of the cross is that God says, I'm gonna show you love and I'm gonna show you justice at the same time. I want to look at the story of one man who sought Jesus out, and that man was Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a high-ranking guy, and he had some questions for Jesus. In John 3, verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, I want to point out a couple of things about this situation here. The first is Nicodemus, as I said, was a Pharisee, but not just your garden variety Pharisee. He was a member of the ruling council. 
He had been trained from early childhood to take this position. He was a smart guy. He, he was learned. He knew everything. He knew the law. He wasn't just a, a garden variety fisherman or, or a Jew. He was a member of the ruling council. So he was in the upper echelon in the Pharisee ranks. And the second thing is, as a Pharisee, he really wanted to do the right thing. Even righteous people will do wrong things because of the evil that's around them. And the Pharisee group, was they were all part of that evil that around him, but he wanted to do the right thing even amongst them. Now, he eventually chose to leave the Pharisees, but at this moment, he was still afraid of them. He was afraid of what people were going to think. And, and sometimes we're not able to change the situation or the group that we're involved with, and sometimes that means we might have to leave that particular group. When Nicodemus came to know Christ as his Savior, he, he kept it secret for a while, but eventually he had to acknowledge it, and he couldn't change it from within, so he had to leave and become and leave the Pharisee group. And I'm sure it was a hard choice for him, but it was a choice that he eventually made because of the reality of Christ. And, and the choice to follow Jesus isn't always the easy choice. It may require sacrifice on our part, but it's always the right choice. If you talk to people who've accepted Christ, if you're watching this and you don't know Christ, ask someone that you know who follows Christ and they'll tell you it may have been a hard choice but they will never go back and change it because it was the right choice to make. Now, verse, the point, third point is Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Now there's two theories about why that happened. The first one was Nicodemus was a busy guy. He was a member of the ruling council. So he was busy during the day and Jesus was also ministering during the day and Nicodemus wanted to respect Jesus' time and so he met him quote, on off hours. Now, second theory is that, and I think this is more plausible, being a Pharisee, he was afraid of what others might think. And so he met Jesus at night when no one was around. No one could see him. No one could tell others that Nicodemus had been with Jesus. Uh, this is a point where Nicodemus was questioning things and wanting to find out for himself. He was afraid of what others in his circle would think of him. It, but it wasn't that he was afraid. The main, form, the main point is he conquered the fear that came with wanting to know about Jesus by actually going to him and questioning him about him. Now, he could have let the fear of others keep him from going to meet Jesus, but he didn't. Even though it was off hours and even though it was at night and no one saw him, he at least had the courage to go and talk to Jesus about things that were on his heart. It was a private search for him. And a lot of times in our search for Jesus, it, it may be a private search. It may be something that we don't advertise to everyone that we're looking into the things of God. Eventually, when we come to the point where we accept Christ, then it becomes vocal, and then it becomes something that we live outward. But until that point, it could be possibly a search that you're making on your own without telling anyone about it. Why? Because we may be afraid of what others may think. We may be afraid of what others are, are thinking about us or our family. But don't let the fear of what others think keep you from searching him out on your own. It could be in private. It could be on your own, doing your own research. But don't be afraid of doing it because there's always truth to be found. And when you search out with your heart, God says he will find you and you, you will be found by him. Feel free to, to search it out discreetly. 
But be prepared for the excitement that comes when you finally realize that what you're searching for is true. And the fourth thing he notices that Nicodemus notices is he tells Jesus that he's heard and seen things throughout the county, throughout the area he's ministering in. He's talked strictly about the ministry that Jesus had. He did not delve into politics. He did not delve into how to be a better Pharisee. He didn't delve into anything else other than the ministry of Jesus. It's easy in your search for Jesus to focus on things that are on tangent issues that may be addressed by uh, people of faith but aren't the, the crux of the faith. Don't focus on the political issues. Don't focus on the things that are going on around you. Simply focus on the person of Christ. Is he who he said he was? Everything else will fall into place after that, but focus on the reality of Christ. He had come to find out simply if what Jesus said was true. He wasn't asking him questions about everyone's response to him. He was wanting to know for himself. And in fact, Nicodemus wanted to try it out. He had heard testimonies, he had heard stories about Jesus, and he finally wanted to know for himself. And a lot of times, the only way for us to, to understand the reality of Christ is to try it for yourself. Nick is, Nicodemus wanted the truth, and the only way he can get truth is by coming to Jesus. And the only way for us to know who Jesus is is to trust what Jesus said about himself. Basically, you're putting him to the test. Is Jesus, is Jesus true? Is what he said true? Now, Nicodemus had been taught the old you know, the Old Testament stories, all the doctrines and prophecies. And what he was seeing was he was beginning to see that the things he studied as a Pharisee, the Old Testament law, the prophecies, and all the prophets that were written, he was beginning to see that these are now being fulfilled in Jesus. It was a reality. You know all about Adam and Eve. We all know the stories about Adam and Eve, King David, John the Baptist, Jesus, Paul. We know those stories. We know about them. Nicodemus knew about the Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures, but he didn't know the Messiah. It's easy for us to know about Jesus. We may go to church all our lives and know about Jesus, but we don't know him. Nicodemus was saying to himself, I've seen all the stuff you're doing in it, and it seems to line up with what I know is true. Are you really from God? Are you really what the Bible says? And what did Jesus say to him? In John 3, 3, it says, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And what he was saying was, information is not enough. Information that you have is not sufficient to really know the reality of Christ. You have to let that information in and transform your heart. A lot of people know about the Bible today. A lot of people know about Jesus. But they've never let the knowledge that they have here come in and affect them here to change their heart. They're as lost and far from God as the folks who don't go to church or don't know Christ because they haven't let the information change them. It's easy to have information. Unless it changes your heart, it doesn't do you any good. Now, he uses the phrase born again, and we've heard that a lot. It's been around forever. What does he mean? It's a term that we use in church. It's a term you've probably heard in your life. What does it mean? And Nicodemus asked him the same question. It's kind of confusing. He says in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. 
Now Jesus answers that in verse five. He says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. No one can have their sins forgiven or have a relationship with God unless two things happen, Jesus says here. The first one is he is born of water. That simply means he is alive. He was born. You've heard the expression when a woman is pregnant that her water broke. That's what they're talking about. He's born of water. He's born in a natural birth. But the second thing he's talking about is being born of the Spirit. That's a little deeper, but it's easy, easily understood. When every person is born, we have the inability to communicate with God. Some people call it sin nature, others call it original sin. That's the part of us, the spirit part of us, that is dead when we are born. We have flesh and we have, spi we have spirit, flesh, and soul. The spirit part of us, the ability to communicate with God is dead, is dormant. And until we acknowledge that fact, we have no communication with God. We have no ability to talk to him or have a relationship with him. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you need to, be, you need to be born first. You need to be alive. You need to be understanding what's going on. And then after that, once you're alive and being able to understand what's going on, then you have to be spiritually born or born again. You have to have that spirit part of you, which is dormant, now become alive. And that becomes alive by being born again. Your spirit now becomes born. No matter how moral or good or, or gifted someone is, we are incapable of seeing God unless our spirit man, the part of us that communicates with God, is alive. And that, is, that comes from being born again. You're letting that spirit be born again. And why is that? Because the Bible says that unless that spirit's born, we have no ability to communicate with God. Second Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this, this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, the spirit part of you that has the ability to communicate with God is dormant or is not alive. So the enemy has blinded our ability to understand. I remember when I first got saved, I walked away from the altar. It was like a light bulb went off in my head. It was like, I, of course, I, I understand, I get it. But up until that point, I had been in church for three years, for three services a week, it didn't click. But the minute I acknowledged who Jesus was, it clicked. Like a light bulb went off in my head, and of course I understand. That's because the spirit part of me now is alive, and I can understand what God's word says. I can understand the relationship with God. It's changing. Church doesn't change you. Church doesn't make your spirit alive. It's a place where you go to allow your spirit to be born again. But until that part happens, Simple church attendance doesn't do anything for you. It's coming to the realization that Jesus is who he said he was. Now your spirit's born alive. The blinders are removed and you can see the truth. Now, what is required for the new birth to happen? What's required for that spirit man to be, to be born again? Well, the first is we have to believe that Jesus' death is in fact payment for sins that we have committed. You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we just celebrated Good Friday a couple of days ago, the day that Jesus suffered and anguished for us. All the, all the sins that we have committed, past, present, and future, the Bible says they were all laid on Jesus. This is where the justice part of God's love comes in. 
God cannot turn away from sin. He cannot let sin just go. There has to be payment for sin. Jesus' death on the cross was payment for my sin. What I did and what you did and what everyone who has ever lived has done. That was payment. The Bible says he poured on him the sin of us all. So all of our sins have been paid by Jesus. The first thing you have to do is believe that was applied to you. That you are a sinful person and I'm a sinful person and that without Christ's sacrifice, without that punishment, we will never be able to have a communion with God. We'll never be able to enter into heaven because we are sinful people. The second thing is once we acknowledge that we're sinful and that Jesus paid the price for us, that that punishment was in fact due to me, the second thing is we have to repent from that lifestyle. And that simply means repent, simply means to turn around and go the other way. Acts 2.37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, this is when Peter preached the gospel, and they said to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 3.17, now brothers, again, he was preaching, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that Christ would suffer. Repent then, turn to God that your sins may be forgiven. A new birth is not a making over of the old person. It's not trying to tweak your old self into being better. Repenting is turning away from what you used to do and becoming a different person. The Bible says you're now a new person. The old person is God, the new person's come. The reason we do water baptism is because it's a symbol of what's happened. You bury the old person in water, you bring up the new person. Jesus was water baptized, he came up out of the water, a new person. Not because he had sinned, because it was a symbol for us. If you come to accept Christ, but you continue to do what you've always done, then you haven't repented, you haven't turned the other way. Now I'm not saying we don't slip and occasionally do it, but if your lifestyle is the same now, as it was before you came to know Christ, then you really haven't repented. You haven't turned around and left that lifestyle. Now, Jesus' death was payment for all the bad things we've done, but it doesn't end there. What happens is, on the third day, what happened? We celebrate Resurrection Day today. Jesus was raised from the dead. He was, in fact, dead for three days, and now God raised him from the dead. Why is that the most significant portion of that? Because all the things that Jesus said and did up to that point, if he were not raised, if he were not raised from the dead, then everything he had done up to that point would not be true. It wouldn't apply to us. Because if there's no resurrection, what was the verse we read at the beginning? If the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, what's it say? Your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. All the hope that we have of being in heaven when we leave this earth, all the hope we have of seeing our, our loved ones who have gone on before us, all of that hope that we have within us, if Jesus isn't raised, then none of it's true. None of it's true. That means we're going to die in our sins. That means we're going to receive eternal punishment and judgment. All that we have and all that we live for, all that we hope for here, doesn't matter. If Jesus isn't raised... God raised him from the dead to prove to us that everything he said, his sacrifice, everything he did, God's saying, 
Here's how I'm going to show you that that's true. I'm going to do the impossible. I'm going to raise him from the dead. And not only raise him from the dead to die again like Lazarus was raised. Lazarus was raised, but he died again. Jesus was raised to never die again, to be alive forever. And the Bible says he, he lives to intercede for us, that he's listening right now. He is alive today. He's not somebody who died 2,000 years ago. He's not somebody who died 2,030 years ago. He is someone who was raised from the dead, who is alive today. He lives with the Father in heaven. And that is the hope we have because if Jesus is raised, then everyone can be raised. Now the point is, everyone's gonna be raised from the dead. The difference is where you're gonna go after you've been raised from the dead. There is a judgment coming. There's two judgments coming. There's a judgment for people who believe. And that simply means God's going to look at the works that we Christians have done and decide whether we get rewarded on that. But the second judgment that's coming is for people who have not accepted Christ. And that judgment is not whether or not you get into heaven. It's going to allow you to try to prove your case before God. And God's going to say, okay, we'll, we'll do it your way. We'll look at your life, and you think you've been good enough. Let's look at the record. And he's going to pull out your record. And every time you sinned, God's going to say, no, every sin here. And those are the reasons that you're not going to get into heaven. Those are the reasons that you're going to face judgment, the justice of God. I said at the beginning, God cannot just look away from sin. He has to judge it. He's either judging it in Jesus and we believe that and we escape that judgment or he's going to judge it in your life if you've not trusted Jesus for his judgment. The Bible says in John 1, 12, for his, yet to all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, those are the people he gave the right to become children of God. We're not all, all of humanity is not children of God. The Bible says the only people who can be called children of God are the ones who have accepted Christ as the payment for their sins and have trusted him for eternity. Resurrection Day is the day we celebrate the most life-changing event in the history of mankind. For 2,000 years since Jesus was raised from the dead, the world hasn't been the same. It's the faith that can't be stopped. It's the trust in God that can't be squashed by anything. Your life takes a dramatic turn when you trust in that resurrection. And I'm here to tell you as one who's experienced it and as you have as well, God does a wonderful work. He transforms who you are from the inside. Not only does he forgive you your sin and make you right before God, man, now the Bible says you have peace with God. You can have peace with God. You can have peace that comes from God. And you can have peace in God. God gives you the peace that allows you to live this life in a joyful state regardless of what's going on around us. Right now, we're, we're preaching from an empty church because of the virus that's going on. But you know what? We still have joy. We still have hope. We still have peace. Not because of the situation, but we have it because of the resurrection of Christ. That's the only reason we can have and experience that joy. Now, if you have never received Christ, this is the perfect time to do it. The Bible says that today is a day of salvation, not tomorrow, not next week. And what better day to do it than Easter Sunday, resurrection morning, when Jesus is waiting at the Bible, says he's waiting at the door of your heart and he's knocking. 
But you have to be the one that opened the door. You have to be the one to accept him. Because it says in this verse we just read, all who receive him, not everybody, to those who receive him. If you want to be short of your salvation, you want to be assured that when this life is over, you're going to be with Jesus in eternity in heaven. The Bible says, if you receive him, if you believe in his name, now you have the right to become children of God and inherit the same thing that Jesus inherited, and that's eternity in heaven. If that's you, I'm going to pray with you right now. If you would repeat after me these, these words. This is a simple prayer. It's not a big deal. It's, I want you to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for suffering what I should have suffered. And thank you, Father, for raising Jesus from the dead to give me the hope of eternal life. I believe in Jesus. I trust his sacrifice for my sin. And I believe that God raised him on the third day according to what the Bible said he would do. And the Bible says, if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that means you are right with God. If you've prayed that prayer, if you are acknowledging that prayer this morning, that means you have now a right relationship with God. Your life will change. Your Holy Spirit, the Spirit in you will now rise up and you will have a relationship with God. The light bulb will go off in your head and you'll understand exactly what people have been saying in your life for years. That this is true. This is real. And it's changed my life in the inside. It changed me as a person. If you've experienced that life change this morning, I encourage you, please get in contact with us. Give me a call here at church. Email us at church doverassembly at gmail.com call me at the church we will be glad to pray with you more give you some information and help you along your walk with God this is just the beginning you're now the Bible calls you a baby in Christ and it's our job as the church to feed you and nourish you and get you on your way to become a mature responsible Christian adult and we have the ability to do that we have materials and we want to get those into your hands so please even during this quarantine, we will mail them to you. Uh, I'll drop them off at your house. Whatever you need, I will get them to you so that can, you can begin your walk with the Lord. It's a great day. I'm trusting that God's going to bless you. Thank you for joining us this morning. And I trust that God's going to give you an awesome resurrection day. If this is your first day to trust Christ, it's the beginning of the rest of your life. God bless you. Have a great week. And we will see you again next week. Enjoy Jesus' this resurrection morning.